Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. My name is Gary, and I joyfully serve as senior pastor here. And if you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest. You are an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your family this week, and as our guest, I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Thank you for being our guest this morning. Kids, it's good to see you here at church this morning. Next week, I know you guys are aware of this, but our church may not be aware of this, so I want to let our church be excited about something, but many of you all kids are going to share with us next week what you all are learning up in kids' church and Sunday school, and so next week, uh, during this time, I'll invite, uh, invite you up here, and I know Lacey's uh, going to help you, uh, but we're going to share with our adults what you all are learning and stuff, so next week, I'm excited about that, so uh, get ready and get excited, super. Um, Kids, thank you for being here this morning. You are dismissed to go to the lobby to be taken up to Kids Church. Kids Church is for kids in kindergarten through fifth grade. And parents and grandparents, you can pick them up in the lobby after our church service is over. We're going to begin Genesis 8, 20, verses 9 through 28 uh, this morning. And as you're turning there in your Bible, I want to remind you of March the 10th. This is, I'm calling this Vision Sunday. And I spent the last couple of years getting to know you, getting to know our church, getting to know our community, praying about what God is doing here in Allen County and what he's doing here at White Plains. And uh, on March the 10th, I'll begin to lay out a vision of where we are as a church and where um, I believe the Lord is leading us to serve as a church. I'm calling this Vision Sunday, and um, over the past year or so, I've, I've listened to you, I've lived in our community, I've, I've experienced life in this community with you, and I have sensed uh, through God's leading that, that our county, Allen County, needs a church that stands out from the culture. Allen County needs a church that takes the Bible and its message seriously and applies it intentionally. Allen County needs a church that's known in our community for its love and a commitment to make disciples while also being discipled to be like Jesus. Allen County needs a church that lives out the fruits of the Spirit. I'm excited to start having this conversation with you on March the 10th. And Lord willing, I will begin to paint a picture of an identity that we can understand as biblical, achievable, and excitable. I have listed that vision of ministry statement in your notes for you to start to consider. It says, we are disciple-making disciples of Jesus who love God, the community, and each other. Now, this statement is derived from the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Both scripture references are listed there in your notes. So please join us on March the 10th at 10 a.m. for Vision Sunday. And as you look around, you might notice it's a little bit brighter in here this morning. This is not accidental. We turned on another row of lights. So if it's brighter, it's because there's another row of lights on. But, but I desire for you all to have your Bible and be able to see it. And so uh, I went around this morning with my Bible looking around, and I could read the Bible pretty easy in, in all the different locations. So hopefully that will be a, a help to you this morning, especially as we jump into to God's Word in our series, How We Got Here. We're quickly looking through the first 11 chapters of Genesis to help form an introduction for the rest of the Bible. And what happens in these first 11 chapters of Genesis gives us a framework to better understand the Bible, the rest of the Bible. The Bible is 
many stories telling one big story, and that's the story of God rescuing people like you and me. And he rescues us to bring us back into the holy work that God had created us for. So this morning, let's look first at Genesis 8.20, and I'm going to read through 9.17 this morning. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, with its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast on the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is in, seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray in response to what we just read. God, thank you for your covenant, for your promises. Thank you that you interact with your creation, that you make promises to us and you keep your promises. Well, thank you for Genesis and this foundation that we're learning more about you. 
Be with us this morning as we dive into this text deeper. You're good to us. We thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just as a review to help frame what we're looking at this morning, Noah and his three sons and all of their wives, eight people in total, they just got off the ark. A really big boat, and they've spent about a year, just over a year, on this boat. During that year, everything that was not on the ark was destroyed or killed by the flood. Now, the flood was God's idea. Remember that in his doing, he did this. Genesis 6, 5 through 7 says this, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in all the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created, from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. That was what started the flood. Noah was chosen by God to survive the flood because according to Genesis 6-9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, it says in Genesis. Noah found favor in God's eyes. God saw the sinfulness of his creation. He saw the sinfulness of man and he said, to you many times that all I've said to you many times that all sin is an attack on God. If God is sovereign and we believe He is, we know that He is. If God is good and we know that He's good too, then He must punish sin. We've talked about this many times in this series. God is good to punish sin. As God punishes sin, He shows mercy. He protects as he punishes. These eight people inside the ark, this family, and all the animals that were with them were protected from what happened outside the ark, the death and the destruction. God recreates after the flood. He uses the floodwaters to reshape the earth. In the creation narrative, we have Adam and Eve in the garden doing holy work that God created for them to do, working right alongside God. In the flood narrative, we have Noah, his wife, sons, and their wives in the ark with pairs of all kinds of animals. The flood subsides. The ark is back on solid ground. The earth is dry. The dove bring back, brings back an olive branch, and then the next time that she's released doesn't come back. Noah and his family, along with all the animals, leave the ark about a year after they entered the ark. This is a Genesis 8, 19. And this is where we pick as 8 and 20, that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, 
day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now there's much speculation about what happened on the ark with these animals. We're not told, and so there's lots of speculation. Did they sleep the whole time? What did they eat? We're not told in the Bible, so we don't know for sure. It is possible that the animals hibernated. That would have been easy probably, but it's also possible that God, much like with the Exodus account, fed the animals like with manna or something else. But we just don't know. The Bible doesn't say. So anything beyond the Bible is speculation. But what I want you to see here in this passage is that there were many animals that were safely on board the ark. They were saved from destruction. They were saved from death for what happens in verse 20 of chapter 8. God made provision to save some of the animals just so that Noah would sacrifice them right after they were off the ark. Now, in kid stories about Noah's ark, we have the animals entering two by two, right? This isn't the whole story because in Genesis 7, verses 2 and 3, we find this, "...take with you seven pairs of all clean animals." the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. There were, there were several clean animals that entered the ark in groups of 14. In fact, every clean animal that God told Noah that was clean entered in pairs of seven. Why? Verse 20 tells us to be sacrificed. They were saved from destruction just to be sacrificed after the water subsided. Genesis tells us that God is pleased with the aroma of this sacrifice. He's pleased and he makes a promise to Noah. He makes a covenant. God says, never again. Never again will I do what I just did. Never again will God curse the ground because of man? Now, without getting too political this morning, but maybe a little political, what do you think this passage implies regarding climate change? When you read your Bible and you see the news, it's good to, to see the news through the lens of Scripture. So what would this passage, in your mind, how would it relate to something like climate change? Is climate change a real thing? It appears to be. Should we be good stewards of God's earth that he created? Absolutely. We should, we should take care of what God has given us. Adam and Eve were charged with tending the garden, and we should take care of what, gives us, what God has given us as an act of thankfulness to him. Should we fear at any time in our future, whether in a few years from now or many, many decades from now, should we ever fear that our environment will be so uninhabitable that we can't live here because of climate change? No, we should not fear that. We should never fear that. We should never be afraid that one day, however far in the future, 
that we will have to leave this planet because we can't live here. God is sovereign. God has made a promise to us that never again will all life be destroyed on this earth. That is one way that's helpful to read Genesis into a current conversation you might be having with family or friends or co-workers. We know that God is faithful. We know that God keeps his promises. He can be trusted. And right here, he says he'll never curse the ground because of humans. We can trust God to keep his word here. God also says that he will never kill every living creature like he did with the flood. He'll never do that again. Additionally, God promises here in Genesis 8:22 that while earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Do we believe this? God always proves himself faithful. Genesis 9:1 gives us a picture of God's recreating work in that he gives Noah and his sons a similar blessing and a similar commandment as he did in Genesis 1. Here's what Genesis 1:28 says. And God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth." Here's what's in Genesis 9:1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. As you're reading the beginning of Genesis 9, you should also read the ending of Genesis 1. They appear to be connected because God is recreating what he created initially. Back in Genesis 1, 29 through 31, and God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given you every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning. This was the sixth day. Back over. Over in Genesis 9, verses 2 and 3, Fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. This is Genesis 9. God is recreating God is repurposing. God is interacting with Noah and his family in a similar way, but also in a different way as he did with Adam and Eve. God is interacting with his creation. And it continues in Genesis 9, 4-7, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from every man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image, and you be fruitful and multiply, 
increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. This points back to Genesis 2, 5 through 17. Again, we're looking, there's, there's a framework here in these first 11 chapters of Genesis. And even in these 11 chapters, they're connected to each other. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Even though God promises to never again wipe out creation like he did with the flood because of sin, even though he promises never to do that again, we still have limits after the flood. There are limits given by God to creation, to Noah and his family. When we break those limits, we sin. Sin must still be punished. Death and destruction are still the same punishment after the flood as it was before the flood. It's just applied more regionally or individually. Never again will it be globally. God recreates. God blesses. He commands. God makes promises, and then he enters into a covenant with his creation. This covenant is entirely God's doing. No one told God to do this. God decided to do this on his own, to make a promise. He's choosing to do what he does. In Genesis 9, 8 through 17, then God, God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And then God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God makes this covenant with Noah. He makes this promise to him and his offspring forever. With every other living thing, God enters into this covenant. God keeps his promises. God is faithful. We can trust him. God promises to never again flood the entire earth and cause worldwide death and destruction. God makes this covenant with his creation. It's an everlasting covenant. There's no end date. There's no expiration date. God will never do what he did again in Genesis 6 through 8. We can trust God. But let's look at verse 12 and the following. God gives a sign of the covenant. You know this sign, right? It's a rainbow. 
This is the sign, the sign of the covenant. And it's a fitting sign because when do we see rainbows? Usually when there's rain coming or has been coming, we are reminded of this covenant. But this sign isn't for us. Even though we are reminded of it because of that, it's not for us. The rainbow is not for you and me. We can absolutely look at the rainbow and remember God's goodness. We can absolutely look at the rainbow and remember God's promise to Noah. There's nothing wrong with that. But the rainbow is not for us. Who's it for? It's for God. Look at verses, chapter 9, verses 14 through 16. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I, God, will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I, God, will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. The rainbow is there to remind God. The rainbow will cause God to remember this everlasting covenant that he just made with Noah and all of creation. Does God forget? No. Does God need to be reminded? No. Then why? Why a rainbow? God uses the help of having things written down. God uses the help of things to remind him of things he doesn't need to be reminded of. He just acts this way. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, we have this book of remembrance. Listen to this from Malachi chapter 3. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. This is in Malachi. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, we have this. And I saw the, the, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. God is not forgetful. God sees everything. God knows everything. God remembers everything. But he uses books, and he uses rainbows to be reminded of things. The rainbow, while not for us, benefits us by helping us to actually see God's continual interaction with us, with his creation. When you see a rainbow, you can be assured that God is being reminded of the covenant he made with Noah and creation. Now, just as in Genesis 9 has been a redoing of Genesis 1 and 2, we also have in Genesis 9 a fall of sorts and a curse like what we had in Genesis 3. In your Bible there in Genesis 9, 18 through 29,
The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. This is important later. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Curse be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be a servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. The fall is attached to nakedness, the nakedness in Genesis 3. It's interesting that the offspring of Ham gets cursed by Noah. Ham is the one who saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers, but it is his son and his son's line that is cursed by Noah. Ham humiliated his dad, and Noah pronounced a curse on his son and his lineage. Now, we're not far removed from the flood. We're not far removed from everything being destroyed and everything dying outside the flood because of sin. We're not far removed from that, and we see sin still running around. Perhaps you've been recreated. Perhaps you've been made new. You've trusted in God. You've committed to follow after Jesus, but you have lingering sin in your life. You've been baptized, and you've experienced God's saving work in your life, but just like Noah and his boys, you've allowed sin to creep back in. This isn't necessarily what you want, but it's what's happening. What can you do? What can you do? Continue to follow God, trusting in Jesus. Trust that His redeeming work paid the price for the punishment your sin deserves. Past, present, and future. Confess to God there is still sin in your life and agree with Him that the sin that remains is terrible. Thank God for Jesus, for paying that heavy price for your sin. Rest in Jesus' redeeming work while filling your mind with God's Word. Hide it in your heart that you may not sin against God. This is the same for those who have followed Jesus for many, many years as those who may need to trust Him for the very first time. Our battle with sin continues while we're on this earth. Don't take this battle lightly. You need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to continue to need Jesus, to trust in Him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we don't just make a one-time decision and then do as we please. This is not what it means to have Jesus as your Lord. Jesus must continually reign over us. We must follow Him through His Word to us in the Bible. We're going to sing in a moment a song of invitation. If you want to talk more about what it means to allow Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, how to follow Him, this time is for you to come forward. You can come and speak with me. You can come pray. You can pray in your seat. Turn to God's mercy this morning. It's only found in Jesus. Return to submitting to Jesus as your Lord in your life. You stand as we pray. God, you are good. You are the creator of everything. You have given us your word to us to help us to know you better. Your word points us to Jesus. Your word continually points us to Jesus. Help us to look into your word, to see Jesus, to see that he paid the penalty that our sin deserves. That as we follow after him and trust in him, we can have life with you everlasting. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual thing. It's a thing that goes every day, every hour. We need Jesus. Help us to put our trust in Jesus this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen.